First thing I'd like to do this morning is to wish all of the fathers here a very happy Father's Day. And one of the reasons that I want to do that is because I'm not entirely sure how much more time we're going to have when we can legally say that. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I may have been out of touch for a while. Uh, generally speaking, try to ignore a lot of the things that are going on in the world. But uh, over the last little while, I've kind of looked and said, when did this happen? You know, who did this? Where is all this coming from? Uh, the world is one messed up place right now. Uh, and I don't really see any signs of it getting any better anytime soon. Uh, and what, what it all boils down to is, is God has arranged things a certain way. Uh, the organization of the church, for example. God set it up a certain way for a reason, and that is the best possible way for it to be organized. Uh, the family is another one. God set the family up the way he did for a reason. And if, if we start messing with things that God has organized, all we can do is make them worse. We cannot make them better, uh, in spite of what a lot of people think. And right now, uh, whether you know it or not, uh, the family is seriously under attack these days. Uh, I, I, I recognize things like this the older I get. Uh, I, I told somebody one time I was, I was fussing about the way things are now as compared to the way things used to be. And I said something along the lines of, you know, well, back 50 years ago when I was a teenager, and then I stopped 50 years ago when I was a teenager, man, I'm getting old. But there, there are things that were never even thought of back then. There are things that, that happen today, and, and they don't seem to really excite any comment at all. And back then, they would not have been tolerated at all. They just would not have been. Uh, you have some things, uh, people are advocating some things, if that had happened back in the 60s, somebody would have lynched them. I mean, this is, this is bad. And, uh, you know, the church really needs to realize this because we have a responsibility, number one, to keep ourselves unspotted from the world, to take care of, our, of ourselves and our family, but we're supposed to influence the world too. Somebody's been influencing them, but it hasn't been us. I heard something recently where a, uh, a social worker uh, that worked with a school system was bragging about how many uh, parents she had convinced to let their, their children have uh, gender-altering treatment because she would tell them, well, you can either let them have it and, you know, have them alive as a, a different gender or, you know, they're almost certain going to commit suicide if you don't. And she was laughing about that because it wasn't true. She was using that to get people to agree to something that they normally would not have agreed with. And uh, you see a lot of that kind of stuff. I, I, I heard just, just recently, uh, and, and this very well may have a serious effect on us, uh, you have some state governments and federal governments that are saying what they want to do 
is put a law in place so that if parents refuse to let their children have these gender-altering treatments, that they can be charged with child abuse and the state will take the children away from you. And then they'll do whatever they want. Folks, that's scary. You know, if somebody had said something like that to me, I mean, not, not even that many years ago, I would have said, oh, come on, that's a bad joke. There is no possible way people would, would stand for that. They wouldn't tolerate that for an instant. Oh, yes, they will. And they are. I kind of feel, uh, you know, back uh, quite a few years ago, they talked about the silent majority. I, I really hope and pray that there still is one because right now the lunatic fringe seems to be the ones that are running everything. You know, it's, it, it, it's just crazy. And uh, it, it will have an effect on us one way or another. I mentioned a minute ago that, that God set the family up the way he did for a good reason. And uh, over in Ephesians chapter 5, this is where you have about the, uh, uh, the most condensed uh, version of what God expected the family to be. In uh, verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And there are a lot of people who do not like that. And they would dearly love to just take that right out of the Bible. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that is why, or that is how God set things up. Now, there are some people uh, who occasionally will look at this and they'll say, well, that's, that's uh, relegating women to second-class citizens. No, it's not. Not in the least. Uh, somebody has got to be in charge in any organization that you have. Somebody has to be the one that makes the final decision. Somebody is the one who has to take responsibility for something if it goes wrong. There has to be somebody that you can go to and say, well, what do you want us to do? How do you want it done? Things like that. And every single one of us know that. You know, when, when we go out in, in, into the world and we get a job, somebody is going to be telling you what to do unless you're the boss. And even then, you're going to have somebody else higher up that will have the right, the authority to tell you what to do. And because I had people that had the right, the authority, to tell me what to do at that job site, did that make me a second-class citizen? No, not in the least. I was just supposed to do what they told me to do. Sometimes that's a good thing. You know, sometimes uh, their boss comes along and says, who told you to do that? You know, what kind of a stupid thing was that to do? He told me to. You know, and then you pass the buck, let somebody else handle it. But somebody has to be in charge. It's the same way in the church. God ordained elders for the church so that there was somebody that had decision-making power and that people could go to and say, do we do this or do we do that? Somebody has to be able to make a decision. And that's all that is in the family. The husband has the decision-making authority. Now, does that mean he gets to do everything he wants? Absolutely not. You know, you go over into 1 Peter chapter 5, and what is one of the things that Peter says about elders? 
He says they are not to act like lords over God's heritage. In other words, I'm in a position where I get to do what I want to do, and I don't have to take anybody else into account. As a matter of fact, it's exactly the opposite. The person in, in the position of authority, if they're any good at all, will look at what is good for everybody else. Whether it's good for them or bad for them is totally beside the point. What is the best thing for the people that are under my authority? And husbands are supposed to act the same way. And uh, Paul goes on and talks about that. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Is that not what Paul just said there? That husbands are supposed to make uh, decisions for the good of the wife when sometimes it may not be for his personal good? That's exactly what he's talking about. Now, there, there are, I, doubt, I, I don't doubt it a bit, but there are some husbands who would like to move that part out of the Bible, but you can't do it. But we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. That's the way husbands are supposed to act to their wives. They have a responsibility to them. Verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That is God's plan for the family. You have one man and one woman for one lifetime. If things go uh, as you would want them to, but society these days is not like that at all. Uh, one of the problems that we have, have run into, and this, is, this has been getting worse and worse since, I think it was sometime in the 70s when things really started to turn around, but uh, there's no respect for the institution of marriage. None. There are people who, you know, well, if I bother to get married, you know, we may live together for four or five years and then maybe we'll decide to get married. Maybe we won't. But even if they do get married, you know, you get married two, three years later, well, I, 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 don't, I don't like you anymore, so I'm going to leave and go get somebody else. Then they'll get another one, and maybe another one, and then maybe another one. There is no respect for the institution of marriage. Now, somebody was doing a study, and they said that it's, it's really interesting to see uh, the, more, the more industrialized our society has gotten and the, uh, the more wealthy our society has gotten, uh, the worse people tend to look at, at, at marriage. Uh, divorces start to go up. Uh, people who live together without benefit of marriage, that goes up. Uh, and, and they were looking for reasons as to why. 
you know, well, what is it that made this change? It's obvious that the change has been made, but what was driving the change? And they said, well, it can't be because people were getting married too young. Because now, a lot of people don't get married until they're in their 20s, sometimes later. When back then, it was not that unusual for girls to get married at 16. The boy might be 17 or 18. They get married and they would, they would live their lives together without any real seeming problem. And they said, well, it, age doesn't have anything to do with it. So what is the problem? And I said, basically what it is, is it's the attitude of society in general. How does the society view marriage? Because back then, marriage was a serious business. If you were thinking about marriage, you better be sure you're right, because once you, once you went ahead on, that's where you were going to be. You did not get divorced for just any little thing. You know, it had to be serious. People took marriage seriously, and they don't now, which really is a shame, and I think, uh, at least to a large extent, is the reason for a lot of the problems that we have. You know, marriage was an institution that was, that was originated by God, the first one. And if, if it was the first organization that God put in place, you know, I think you have uh, the right to think that it's an important thing. And it is. Most of society is going to be uh, what marriage makes it. And that's just the way things tend to go. You have <clears throat> the necessity of, of, of fathers to prepare and provide for their children. You know, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone does not provide for his own, uh, sometime uh, do a, a computer search and see uh, how many households there are in the United States that has no father present. That number is going up. It goes up every year, and every time it does, you know, we're just, we're just adding fuel to the fire of our own destruction. But he says, if you don't provide for your own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you are not going to take care of your own family, and, and again, primarily uh, uh, pointed to men, if you are not going to take care of your own family in, in, the, in the sight of God, you're not worth much. You know, you are worse than an unbeliever. You have denied the faith. Now, most people that would do that really don't care if they're considered an unbeliever or, or someone who has denied the faith. But the fact of the matter is, is, that gives you an idea of how seriously God takes the whole situation. He takes it extremely seriously. You know, when you start destroying marriage, you're in really serious trouble. And one of the other things that, that men tend to do is they tend to be the disciplinarians. Now, I, I don't know about uh, some of you folks, but... Uh, you know, when, when it came to uh, disciplining children, uh, you know, the, the spare the rod, spoil the child, 
My parents were firm believers in that. And I don't remember how many times I heard just wait till your father gets home. And I'll tell you what, if, if you want to spend some really uneasy time, you know, just start counting the hours until dad gets home. Because when he does, it is not going to be pleasant. But, but men, generally speaking, are the disciplinarians. They're, they're, they are more emotionally suited to that kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, I remember back in the, uh, in the 60s, there were a lot of people that were trying to tell us that uh, uh, mentally, emotionally, intellectually, there's absolutely no difference between men and women. The only reason that little boys grow up one way and little girls grow up another way is because they have been led to believe that that's the way they're supposed to be. You know, you give dolls to the girls and you give trucks and things to the boys. And that's what makes them different when they get older. It's not that they were born any different to begin with. And then after about 20 years of people trying to prove that, that was true, they gave up on it because it's not. Men and women, boys and girls, males and females are different. They are different not only biologically, but they are different emotionally. They're different intellectually, not that one is smarter than the other, but that one tends to view some things in a certain way, and another one does, does things differently. Uh, somebody was talking about the, the supposed uh, wage gap between men and women. They said, it's really not there. Said so the, the reason that there is difference in their income is because of the jobs they choose. Women tend to choose jobs, oftentimes they're, they're, they're a better fit for their nurturing nature, but they don't pay as well. But that's the kind of jobs they like to do. So, you know, they said, yeah, they're different. Uh, quit trying to tell them that they're not. They're, somebody said that uh, a lot of uh, problems are, are, are going on in uh, like kindergarten, first, second grade, something like that. Uh, they said that a lot of the teachers of these really young kids uh, have been given some bad information and it's showing up because they don't treat these, these children like little girls and little boys. They treat them like little girls and defective little girls. They said they treat little boys like they're just defective girls. There's something wrong with them that you have to change. And I said, and there's not anything wrong with them. They're just different. You know, girls and boys, they're different, but nobody wants to treat them that way. But we don't, we don't believe in, in discipline anymore. There was somebody that was, that, uh, was talking about the, uh, uh, the latest the Gen Z uh, people and some of the reasons why they were different. And they said, and, and they admit that they're different. And they said they grew up using social media as a babysitter. You know, they, they were in the generation that, you know, when you're 12, 13 years old, you got a smartphone. And you were never out of touch with people at all after that. Said so you don't go out and play with your friends. You sit there and text them or play games with them or something like that. They don't have personal contact as much. And said so they, they, they had an adult with them all the time. You know, everybody was talking about, you know, anti-bullying. You don't bully kids anymore. You don't put them out on a playground and let them choose sides, and one poor kid is the one that everybody says, well, we don't want him. You guys can have him. I know how that goes because that is usually me. But they don't do that anymore. They don't do a lot of that stuff anymore. And so when, when the, the, the kids are 18, they're getting ready to go off to college, 
they've never had to do anything for themselves and they don't know how to act. And that's why you have these crying rooms in, in uh, colleges and universities now where they can go lock themselves in with the stuffed animals and nobody can bother them because they didn't get taught all those things when they were growing up. You know, every, every generation has been bullied and you learn to deal with it. You know, how do I handle that? You know, back, back in, the, in the old days when you were playing games or something, somebody won and somebody lost. If you lost and you didn't like to lose, you tried to get better so that next time you would be the winner. But you learned how to deal with it. And we've got a whole generation of people that don't know how to deal with it because they haven't been taught. And that is a responsibility of the parents. Now, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, it says, He who spares his rod hates his son. Oh, I love my children too much to discipline them. No, you don't. If you're not going to discipline your children, it's because you hate them. You don't want them to think that you're a bad person, so you're going to let them grow up defective because you didn't teach them anything. You didn't teach them that bad conduct has bad consequences. I read a, uh, a, a column in a, uh, a woman's magazine once upon a time. Now, I'm not going to get into how I happen to have the thing in my possession. But uh, uh, someone wrote in and, and asked the psychologist. They said, I've, I've got a, uh, a son. I forget exactly how old he was, but he was, he was pretty young. And said that, you know, I've, I've noticed when he behaves badly, if I just give him a swat or two and tell him to stop, he'll stop. He'll listen. And he won't do it. You know, is, is it a bad thing for me to do that? And they said, oh, absolutely. You know, when you use uh, corporal punishment against a child, you're teaching that child that you can use force to get your own way. Uh, no, you're not. You're teaching them that bad conduct has bad consequences. That is the purpose of punishment. You know, you did something bad. This is what's going to happen to you. If you don't do anything bad, it's not going to happen. You know, they learn that. There are things you just don't do. Chasten your son while there's hope and do, do not set your heart on his destruction. Proverbs 19:18. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 22, 15, and you could go on and on and on. And all of those have one common theme. If you want your children to grow up worth anything at all, discipline them. Now, I'm not going to say that you have to spank your children. You know, dad was really fond of a belt. And me, not so much. But it worked. You know, some children will, will, will respond differently to different things. And, you know, nobody knows their children better than their parents. So you know what you need to do. You know, but the, 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 the point is, is that you have to discipline them. You have to tell them this is wrong. You do not do that. And if you do, this is what's going to happen. There, there was a youngster in a congregation that I used to attend back some time ago, his grandmother would bring him to services. 
And I don't know how many people wanted to grab that kid and take him outside because he would run up and down the aisles all through services, yell and carry on. And if his grandmother got him and tried to, to, to get him to be quiet, he'd ball up a fist and hit her. But if you did that when I was a kid, they'd probably never see you again. You just didn't do that. But that was a perfect example of, you know, what's he going to be like when he's older? You know, in that magazine, somebody asked about uh, the discipline of a child. Can you, can you swat them? And they said no. And I told Marcia, I said, you know, I, I really want to write them a letter. That tells you how far back that was. But I said, I really want to write them a letter and ask them. So, you know, I, I saw what you, what you said, and I have two questions for you. Number one, do you have any children? And number two, did you raise them according to what you're teaching other people to do? Because if you did, I have a third question. Are any of them currently out on parole? Discipline is something that children have to have. You know, we have an, an obligation as well, especially, again, as, as fathers, we have an obligation to teach her children, especially when you're talking about things uh, in regard to the church. And it, it, it seems to be the case most of the time uh, that it's the women who end up with a lot of that. Uh, and, and it's not the fault of the women, it's usually the fault of the men. You know, they, they are, are slower uh, to come to a realization that they, they need to obey the gospel, and then, you know, they're behind in the knowledge that they need to have, and it takes them a while to get caught up. Uh, so they don't do as much of the teaching uh, as they should. But it, it, it is much, much better if the fathers can do that. You know, again, if, if the father is the head of the household, he's the one who organizes some of these things. You know, you spend some time with your children at home with the Bible. And to some people, that's a radical concept. Now, wait a second, you know, that's what we got Bible class teachers for. That's what the preacher's for. We're not paying him for nothing. He's the one that's supposed to be teaching our kids all this stuff. No, he's not. Parents are. The parents ought to be teaching their children. Spend time with them and the Bible and teach them what they need to know, just in case they don't get it somewhere else. But we have a, a, a responsibility to do that. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is, is talking to the people, and he's telling them that you have learned a lot of things. And one of the things that you need to do is you need to keep passing this information along to the next generation. You know, teach them diligently to your children. When children ask you, and he was talking specifically about uh, the Passover, he said, when, when, when the children see you, you know, you, you get the, the bitter herbs and you, you get the, uh, the lamb uh, and all of these things, when you're, when you're doing all of this and it's not something you normally do, they're going to ask you why. Why, why, are, why are you doing that? And, he said, and then you teach them. It's an opportunity to teach them what they're supposed to do when they get older. But you teach them these things so that when they grow up, it's just second nature. It's part of them. 
you know they, they don't have to learn it all later but that's one of the things that that parents are supposed to do teach their children you know there there are some uh, uh, some good examples and there are bad examples as somebody said something once about you know it uh, there is some good in everybody even if the only good thing about them is that they serve as a bad example you know people can point and say you know you don't want to be like that do you but uh, being a good example to our children and and passing information along to them is is a it's one of the biggest responsibilities that teachers or parents have got uh, over in first chronicles chapter 28 David is about to die, and he is passing the kingship on to his son Solomon. And in verse 9, he says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. Now, in, in Hebrew, when they're talking about know, it's not just, well, I, I realize he exists. No, you, you have a knowledge that leads you to do what he tells you to do. It's not just a, a little thing. It's a deep knowledge know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Now that's some of the best advice that a father could give his children know the Lord seek him out find what he wants you to do and then do it and that is a responsibility again that primarily falls on fathers now uh, women do it and, and do a wonderful job of it but fathers have got to be involved in it too if you want it to be as good as it can be but remember God set things up the way he did for a reason it seems today that society is absolutely intent on destroying the structure of the family and if they succeed in doing that society is never going to be the same and it will not be for the better fathers love your wives and don't bring your children up uh, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and if you do that You've gone a long way toward doing what God wants us as fathers to do. It may be that there's someone here this morning that's not a Christian. If that be the case, you could come forward this morning, confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and you could be baptized to have your sins washed away. If you're an erring child of God, then you need to go to God in prayer. Confess your sin to him from a repentant heart and ask him to forgive you, and he's promised to do that. Or it may be that you just need to come forward and ask for the prayers of those that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, would you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing.